This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad that you're here, as always. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And you definitely picked a good week to find the show, because this week I'm speaking with Harvard-trained sociologist, world-renowned coach, and New York Times bestselling author, Martha Beck, about her latest book, The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. And we're discussing how living in alignment with our inner truth is the key to a purposeful and joyful life. Now, this is hands down one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the show. I was a little nervous because I've been reading her work since, I don't know, junior high in O Magazine, and she's always been this sort of guiding light in my life, and I know so many other people's lives um, as just a source of expansion and self-acceptance and self-love. And so to have her on here, to share her words with you directly all over the world is is really a full circle moment, and I told her that, and uh, it was just really cool. And so I'm just excited to, to bring her work to your ears, and uh, I hope that you really get a lot out of it. I hope that it starts to shift how you look at your own life. The things that you pursue to to feel like you're of value, to feel like you're bringing something to the world, are those things really what you need to be following? Is it really what's making you happy? And if not, she's going to lay out ways that you can make shifts so that you are in alignment with your inner truth and what you really want to do while you're here for this short time. So I hope you love this conversation. I certainly loved having it with her. And uh, no matter where this goes in the world, I hope that it touches you and that it brings you value today. Enjoy. Well, hello, Martha Beck. Welcome to the show. I am so glad that you're here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we have a lot of mama listeners, so this is going to be just so valuable to them. So really, I'm just so thrilled. I've been reading your work in O Magazine, I think my entire adult life heard. So this is just a full circle moment. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It feels so good. (laughs) Um, But just right off the bat, why this book? Why now? Um, hmm, I I think there there has been no time in human history when personal wholeness wouldn't have made everybody's lives better. And that's what I mean by the way of integrity. Integrity just means whole and undivided. It doesn't mean you're especially virtuous. It just means you're in harmony with yourself. Um, I've been doing integrity cleanses my whole adult life, well, since my late 20s. And I found that the more I focus on getting into really, really strong alignment with what's deepest at my core, the better life works and the more wonderful things happen. But I have to say things are getting more and more fragmented. And so, yeah, I think any time is right, but this time is... uh, None too soon. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, when you say get more whole, how do you actually define integrity? Because I think for most people, you do think, oh, you know, you're pious, you're moral, you know, you're a stand-up person, but what does it really mean? No, those are all social postures. And uh, integrity comes from the word integer, the Latin word, which simply means one. You know, it's not a fraction, it's whole. 
So we're all born undivided. We're all born in perfect integrity. And then before we can even talk, we undergo social pressures of various kinds, you know, approval from our parents, our families, our friends, whatever. And we start to get pressured to move away from what is best for us or what is truest for us at the deepest level. So like we smile to make mommy happy when we don't feel so great. At that moment, we've abandoned ourselves. So part of us is there to please mommy and part of us is still holding our truth. And so we're split. We're not in integrity, which is one thing. We're in duplicity, which is two things. And that actually hurts. It's like you've left your soul in another room and you, you, you have a feeling of hollowness and emptiness and a lot of other negative symptoms that arise. In fact, I think lack of integrity is the source of psychological suffering, mm. period. Wow, that's a bold statement. But I mean, I think we've all been in situations where we are trying to placate others and just make everyone happy and, you know, keep us, especially as mothers, you know? Oh gosh, yes. Oh my God, the cultural, the cultural pressure that comes down on you the moment you're a mother, because uh, you're not only held responsible for you acting like everyone wants you to, you're responsible for what other, these little beings acting the way other people want them to. Yeah. And they have their own nature. For me as a mother of, of young children um, who are like getting to school age, I think I left my integrity more severely than, than, it, than at any other time because not only, uh, it's one thing to force yourself to fit in, to try to force your child to do what the teacher wants. It's impossible, it's crazy making, and it's untrue. It was untrue for me as a mother. Like, so my, my oldest child, I dogged that poor kid for years mm -hmm. because this was a child who did not fit in at school. And I just kept trying to force it. And in doing so, I nearly ruined our relationship, you know, and I went back, I was able to go back and apologize for that. And, and I will continue to do so, but yeah, it can be, it's, it's rough, man. So what is it? I mean, how does our relationship with fitting in, uh, how does culture just mess everything up so badly for us? Because we all want to be happy. You know, this that's the goal, right? So right. Why, why do we torture ourselves? It's an interesting thing. I mean, certain, um, certain people have a higher than typical need for status, wealth, and power for sort of the, the tokens that the culture says make you significant. And I, this is true in all primates, higher primates, where it's, it's our monkey selves. We, some of us want dominance and power. And we do that by creating things, group norms that we force other people to belong to. Most people live in fear of, I'll call <laughs> this is all coming from a study on baboons by uh, Robert Sapolsky. And this, there were certain baboons in the troop called the bully baboons that could make all the other baboons afraid and conform. Mm -hmm. And when those bully baboons got weak, nobody wanted to be around them. And then there were friendly baboons who would like groom other baboons and just hang loose and be easy. And when they got old and weak, the troop would care for them. Uh -huh. So it's this weird paradox where we're afraid of the people who will punish us, judge us. I mean, look at the internet. Right. You can be judged so violently for something like, breastfeeding, not breastfeeding, not doing both, you know, like all kinds of things. You can find haters. They're in the tiny minority, but their rage is so painful to us that we will subordinate our whole lives to avoid drawing their fire, right? Mm. 
Oh, so man. yeah, it's fear that makes us abandon ourselves. And it's not even fear of the many, it's fear of the mean. <laughs> I just got chills when you said that. Um, but talk to us about, I, I love how you likened the book to Dante's The Divine Comedy. Why did you pick that? How, you said it was the first great self-help book. I love that line. Talk <laughs> about that. Well, I, I read everything. When I was in my teens, I was so miserable. I read everything as self-help. I was just like, is there something that can help me here? Mm-hmm. And I loved the metaphor in Dante of the inferno. He goes into the inferno. In the, he goes into hell and he has to go into hell to get to heaven. And he goes down and down and down and down in hell until he reaches the center of the earth. And then by continuing to go the same direction, because he's past the center of the earth, he's going up. So when I was 18 and really depressed, I read that and I thought, oh, I just have to keep going through hell. If I go deep enough, I'll end up going the other way. And, and it worked. So from then on, I was I read Dante and, and stole from Dante liberally for all myself. <laughs> and I thought, might as well acknowledge the dude. He wrote this map from confusion to happiness in metaphor. And it, it's actually really powerful. It's also very weird for us reading it in the 21st century. So I thought I'll just translate a little. Yeah. Well done on that. I mean, do you think, do you think most people are in the dark woods? They don't really know what's up or down. They're just kind of, I don't know, existing. Yeah. The book is divided into four parts and in, in the divine comedy, there are only three parts, but right at the beginning, Dante says in the middle of my life, I sort of came to in a, in a dark forest full of, beasts and fog and you know poison ivy whatever and he didn't know how he got there didn't know how to get out and a lot of people are just are in that state I've been coaching for like 30 years and people come to me most often and I've worked with people in terrible circumstances but the most the, the most common worry and the one that seems to dog people the most is they don't have any sense of purpose or meaning anymore it, they're just wandering through life and there's suffering and at the end of it, we're going to die. Like, what's the point? So Dante asks that question. And, and at first he tries to figure out how to, he's in this dark wood, but there's a beautiful glowy mountain that rises out of it and it looks all shiny and pretty and everybody's trying to climb this mountain. So he tries to do the same, but he can't do it. He's too tired. He's afraid of beasts. And a lot of us do that. We we're wandering around and we say, okay, well, um, how do I get out of this? Oh, look, there's achievement. Mm. There's a big, big pile of admiration and acceptance and money. And that's where I need to go. And when I'm world famous and I'm a billionaire and I'm everything, I'll be happy. But I've worked with people who, who are world famous and who are billionaires. You're still not happy when you get there if you've lost yourself. Mm. So he ends up having to go through the inferno to get out of the dark wood. And I think so do we. Oh. Man, so how do we begin then to pull ourselves through, you know, this dark woods and to avoid the shiny, glittery achievement and all of that and really, you know, stay true to who we are and what makes us happy? What if we don't even know what makes us happy? Yeah, most of us don't. And that's because, um, for example, I when I used to speak in public, I would stop right in the middle of a speech and say, is everyone comfortable? And the audience would say, well, yeah. And I'd say, no, no, really, truly, are you comfortable? It's okay to tell me if you're not. And they'd be like, we're comfortable. Go on with the speech. (laughs) And then I'd say, how many of you, if you were sitting at home alone right now, would be in exactly the position you're in at this moment? And no one would raise their hands. And I would say, why would you be in a different position? And they would think and think and think. And finally, someone would say, 
oh, I'm not very comfortable. This is not comfortable. And then the whole audience is like, you are right. We are not comfortable. And I, this is the problem, not that you're sitting there in these uncomfortable chairs, but that you really, truly learn to believe that that was the most comfort you deserved or could expect. And so in your mind, you thought of it yourselves as comfortable, but your body knew you weren't. And so what happens to almost all of us, all of us, I'm just, wait, no, I have a son with Down syndrome and I don't think this has happened to him, where right from the beginning of life, we pretend we're comfortable when we're not comfortable. And how do we get back to our wholeness? Suffering is the ally that tells us where to start. Wherever we're most split from ourselves, that's where we will be hurting the most emotionally, physically, spiritually. We feel our souls dying, our bodies wilting. There's lots of evidence, research that shows when we're doing something that isn't right for us at the deepest level, our, our health suffers. Yeah. And I was bedridden for like 12 years um, because I was so far out of integrity. So yeah, it's it's worth going um, going into your discomfort and that's the signal. Whenever you're not comfortable, go find out why. Sit mm. quietly until you know why and then you're you're ready to go. <laughs> I love that. When did you, I mean, when did you make a decision that said, okay, I'm not going to suffer anymore? What was that moment like? How did you push through? Because I feel like so many people are like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, go for my true happiness. And then they go back, you know, it's too, scary. yeah, it's too bad. absolutely. Because what we're used to and what we're reinforced for is so it's not celebrating returning to our real truth. But I just got, as I said, suffering is a great ally. And by the time I was in my 20s, I was suffering badly. <laughs> I was so far divided from myself. I'd been raised very, very Mormon. Then I went off and got three Harvard degrees, which is about as different as you can get from growing up in a, as a Mormon girl than to be like a Harvard student. Um, then I had my, my son with Down syndrome, and that was a choice. I was six months pregnant and, and chose very last minute not to terminate that pregnancy when he was diagnosed. By the way, if, if anybody out there made a different decision, I am so in support of you. But that was my decision. So I, in my late 20s, started experimenting with ways of being more truthful. They said the truth would set me free. And I thought, okay, but how does that work? And they'd say, well, it's religion. And I was like, that's not working. Yeah. So instead, I just decided I wouldn't lie for a year. Whew. Not once. And I didn't. This is not the technique I would advise in the book. It's, <laughs> the book is like little tiny steps will get you there. But I just went whole hog at 29. And during that year, my health got better. My emotions recovered. Um, my parenting got infinitely better. And I lost my religion of origin, my family of origin, my marriage, my job, my, uh, my whole career in academia. I just quit. Um, it looked like a wholesale burn down of my life. And it made me better, made me happier. Okay. It gave me the life I have today. I just admire that so much that you had the bravery to do that because I think 90, 90% of the population wouldn't do a wholesale burn down of their lives. You know, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. Well, you have to be hurting a lot. You have to be in a lot of pain to be willing to do that. And as I said, I don't think most people are nearly as far out of their integrity. Mm. I got, and mind you, I got there by trying to be good. I didn't just decide I was going to be a bad person. I just, 
I over complied with everything and it tore me to shreds. So yeah, it, it's not going to be that bad for everybody who reads the book. You're not going to lose your family. Yeah. Very hard to do actually. <laughs> but if you do need to lose your family, you will be in agony when you're with them. Oh, I see. And I think, you know, as a society, as a culture, we're so adverse to negativity, to negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And you're really saying what I'm hearing is that they're actually saving us. You know, it's showing us that something is amiss. Can you talk about why we should lean into those negative emotions and how to do it? What's the best way to do that? This episode is sponsored by Public Goods. Public Goods is your one-stop shop for everything that you need for home and life. Now, it's completely online. You're not going to find a store out in your neighborhood, but that's kind of the beauty of it in 2021. I would rather have everything that I need delivered to my door when I need it at an amazing price. And the other cool thing about them is everything is in this minimalistic aesthetic. So it's black and white, very clean lines. Everything looks really good in your bathroom or your kitchen or your pantry. And you can feel good about the products that you're bringing into your home. Everything is heavily researched. A lot of the packaging is sustainable, is biodegradable. They do a really good job at taking a more responsible stance um, towards the environment and towards quality. And of course, since you're a listener of the show, they're going to hook you up with a good deal. You get $15 off your first purchase if you go to publicgoods.com forward slash unstressed. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S.com forward slash unstressed, or you can use unstressed at checkout. Well, there are two ways to be negative. One of them will save your life and the other one will ruin it. So the, the negative that will ruin it is what people are trying to avoid. And rightly so, where you're just constantly stuck in rage and pessimism and life sucks and I hate everything. Yeah. That's really different from saying, you know what? This situation feels painful to me. So this job, I don't feel happy when I walk into the building. There's something wrong in this relationship. I feel anxious and tense and miserable and sleep deprived every time I interact with this person. So allowing ourselves to see where we're suffering, that's what will save us. And the response to negativity is something needs to change. So it's a very active agent of change. It's not like everything sucks and I hate it. And I'm just going to sit in the corner and whine. It's more like, oh, this isn't working and this isn't working and this isn't working. Oh my, I'm going to have to build a whole new set of things. And, and whatever anger there is, is immediately replaced by, oh, oh boy, this is not going to be easy. Right, exactly. Here. But if you stay in it, you know, you'll just keep suffering. Suffering never gives up on us. <laughs> and I think, I think that's a huge point to put out there because it's like so many people want to change, but you know, it's big, it's scary. They don't know if they can do it, but then the alternative is, well, do you want to stay this way forever? And everyone would say, no, I can't, like, I can't go back to that. Right. It's like trying to fit back into your baby clothes, but yeah, the, it, we live in this pressure between our true nature and our culture and the culture has gotten so interesting. It really, I mean, there are so many conflicting opinions and the, the opinions, because we have the internet and, and all of that, they're so heightened. Yeah. Like the social pushback is so strong. So we need to be really, really conscious of our own truth right now. Because every time you go online, there will be voices pushing your buttons and saying, you're not good enough, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. And unless you're connected to what feels true to you, you will just go on one goose chase after another. 
Yeah. The bully baboons are out in force on the, Oh my gosh. Right. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a major point that our listeners are hearing right now. It's really staying true to ourselves so that we're not exhausting ourselves. We're not trying to reach for this and reach for that. Is there a particular method, you know, that you do talk about in the book to becoming more in integrity and pushing ourselves forward? Um, Maybe not, not lying for a year, (laughs) but but right. Like becoming aware of our emotions, you know, becoming aware of what's going on. How do we, how do we do that each and every day? Well, it's very, you take very small, very simple steps. And so I break it down really like in each chapter, there are exercises to take you one little step further and you really need to take small steps. Research shows that small steps are more likely to create positive change than big steps. So the first one, for example, is just to say, my life is not completely perfect. And to like literally say that out loud, my life is not completely perfect. I'm not absolutely thrilled with everything. There are places where I feel lost. There are places where I would really like some help. And just saying that out loud, if it's true and you've been pretending, no, I'm fine. Everything's great. I'm comfortable. Just to say, I'm not comfortable. This isn't really working for me Mm. in every single way. It's like, oh, and there's this, what I call the, the chime of truth or the ring of truth. The body relaxes. The emotions sort of open up like, okay. Uh, if you believe in the soul, the soul feels more free when you're telling the truth about your life. And your mind will go, okay, I guess. Because your mind serves culture. But the body, the heart, and the soul serve nature. Mm-hmm. So get to know the difference between the two. And just in the privacy of your own room. Be who you actually are. Like, there's so much about parenting that is that makes us want to pretend. Yes. Everybody pretends that their children aren't difficult sometimes, that they always love their children. They never get too tired of raising, you know, of having twin babies or whatever. Oh, no, everything's great. (laughs) Parenting (laughs) is the hardest thing you will ever do. It's the hardest thing ever. (laughs) Oh, and just saying, man, this sucks today. It's hard, man. I need some help. That is often a truth that any parent could benefit from saying every single day. I could. And I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. But it's hard. Super hard. Yeah. And I think for me, myself, I feel guilty if I do snap or I do, you know, break the facade of, you know, good mom, you know, in a good mood all the time, trying to keep everyone positive, you know, and you have that moment where you're just like, oh man, like I failed. But as you said earlier, you know, you go back and you're still trying to make, make it right. Is it ever too late to, to mend what you've done? No, one of my favorite studies shows that when 80 year old parents go into therapy, their 60 something children get better without getting therapy of their own. Like it it is literally never too late to fix yourself. What I learned through all the integrity stuff that I do is that our children aren't shaped by the way we treat them. They are shaped by the way we treat ourselves. Mm -hmm. They do not treat themselves the way we treat them. They treat themselves the way we treat ourselves. Wow. So there's, there's something in the book that I call the Eller Nedlog which means it's the golden rule spelled backwards. <laughs> I was like, I haven't heard of this. <laughs> no, the, the golden rule, of course, is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the, the Eller Nedlog is never let anyone else do to you what you would never do to them. Mm. Would you ever say to your child, I know you feel miserable, but I want you to smile and pretend you're happy all the time. 
Yeah. Of course not. No, but you tell yourself that and then your child learns that that's the rule because kids are incredibly bright and they pick up not just on our actions, but on our energy and on our intentions. I mean, they know us. And if we aren't in truth, they know it, but they will love us anyway and it will get them in trouble. Mm. So seeking your own truth and living your own truth is what gives your children permission to be themselves. It sounds like it's the greatest gift that you can give your child. I mean, and you're benefiting yourself. Oh my gosh. When my son was diagnosed, um, I, you know, I was six months pregnant and I had some time to worry and be terrified. But during that time, I let go of my expectation that he would act in a certain way. So it was like, I'd gone to the puppy store to get a puppy and I brought it home and they said, it's not a puppy, it's a kitten but make it act like a puppy. Right. So people would tell me, you know, you can, you can, if you work with him hard enough, if you do physical therapy with him all day, he can be almost like a normal kid. And I was like, well, what if I like kittens? What if it's okay to be a kitten? You don't have to be a puppy. And so I kind of, I let go of that expectation for him. And because of that, partly, I mean, he's just a naturally incredible, incredible guy. But he lives in absolute truth mm. and he will not violate his integrity. And it's not like he just bounces around hugging people. He's actually quite reserved. It's like when he was a teenager and put on some weight, like all the other kids in his special class, um, he looked at himself in the mirror one day and said, I don't like that. Gave up sugar and starches, lost 50 pounds oh, and wow. never ate sugar again. Wow. I know. I couldn't, I could not make that happen. <laughs> I just let him be himself. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to be that, <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's bad for me. That's it. It's over. I'm not doing it. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Would you say that he has been your greatest teacher or has there been a moment yeah. in your life or someone else in your life? Gosh, one of the things I talk about in this book is that we go through the cycle of integrity over and over in different issues. And Anytime we're ready to leave the dark wood of error, we're like, I'm miserable. I hate this. I want to feel better. In the hero saga that characterizes every like fairy tale or legend in all cultures, when the hero says yes to adventure, says I need help or whatever, a teacher appears. And sometimes the teacher is a book. I've had that happen a lot. Sometimes the teacher and definitely Adam, my son, was yeah, one of the very top teachers that ever showed up in my life and remains so to this day. But each time I've gone to seek greater integrity, different teachers have appeared and they're all miraculous. They're all like, my gratitude is infinite. So it's hard to compare infinity with infinity. <laughs> Every child is a teacher for the parent. I feel that way too. I feel like when I became a mother, I really awoke maybe for the first time. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it burst me open in so many different ways. I think I was suppressing so much and didn't even know it. And then you have these babies. Wow. And it's like a straight mirror to oh. yourself. So interesting. Yeah. Hold yeah. Sorry. I, no. No, I, love I love it. Um, six and nine, two boys. And so, oh, wow. um, yeah. So this year has been interesting, I think, for all of us, for the whole, for the whole world. Like, would you say... Uh, having greater integrity has been easier after this year because people are home and they are kind of reflecting more yeah. than they've ever done. Yeah, because the greatest force pulling us away from integrity is culture, is other people's um, opinions and expectations. Having less contact has allowed people 
to get in touch with themselves. Pascal said that all our misery comes from the fact that we're unable to sit quietly alone in a room. (laughs) It's when you sit quietly alone in a room, all your truth starts to come up. And that can be really scary, as you've said, as we've both been saying. But we all had to sit quietly in rooms this year and for the past year and some. And so it was a really rocky time and a lot of problems appeared. Fissures in the culture started to really gape like earthquakes. And in all our lives, we had to kind of go, okay, what's working? What's not? And now the challenge is, can you take what worked under lockdown back to a world as it opens up the, the good parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's key, right? I mean, the key is like, okay, I'm learning more about myself. I'm getting, I'm happier than I've ever been. And now I have to go back into the office what's going to yeah. happen, you know? Exactly. And, and we're seeing where uh, going back to the office for most people is a lack of integrity, not because you're trying to be bad because you're trying to be good and your soul doesn't like the office. Yes. Offices are modeled after factories Mm. and the schools um, are modeled to make factory workers. That's why we put kids in same size, same rows, make them do the same tasks at the same time. It's not the way nature has us learning. Mm -hmm. It's the way factories work. And now we don't even need to go to the same place to put objects together if we don't work in a factory, but we still go to an office that's similar to a factory. And everybody's supposed to be a cog in that machine of of wealth, right? Industry, productivity. And it violates most people's nature to live that way. It's so interesting. I love love hearing you talk about that because I'm someone that's so in tune with nature. The listener is too. I mean, we got a lot of woo mamas out there listening to this show. And so I think you're you're hitting it spot on. It's like, it is so against our nature, but at the same time, it's like, well, what do we do as a society to move forward, to be more in touch with our nature? I mean, are we moving away from the patriarchy and that kind of factory system? I mean, how do we still have houses and roads and things like that when, you know, people are kind of just doing their own thing? I think maybe the system of the patriarchy may be crumbling under its own weight because it is based on something that is about the rule of the bully baboons and the forcing people to be cogs in machines and so on. And I think it's reaching a point where it's starting to crack and fall apart. And how do we change that as a society? Societies don't change, people do. Mm. The only way we can change society is to find ourselves. If we are to say, um, we must go to the right, you know, to the golden spot in the, on the earth, and I will lead us there. But we don't know what that looks like. We don't know the map. We don't know the place. How are we supposed to get collectively to a place we can't find individually? Yeah. So the very end of this book, what I talk about is how Dante, after I think he found his, he awoke, you know, he found his integrity and it led him to a, a, a state of being that in Asia would have been called the awakened or enlightened stage. And I believe we can I've met people who I think have reached that. If you can get there, what Dante did was he came back and he changed everything. He created what is now the Italian language. He changed the Catholic church. He changed the politics of his time. And he did it just by being, doing what he wanted to do. He was an artist. He was a writer. And he wrote from a place of deep, deep, deep personal truth. And I think that's why after 700 and some years, people still say, this is a great work of literature. 
because it came from a level of truth that even though it's weird in middle ages and, and, and full of Italian politics, <laughs> it still has that roadmap to wholeness. And if we follow it in our own lives, then the society like Dante's society ends up being transformed mm. by one person. Well, and I think that's exactly what you're doing in the work that you do. Oh, and in this thank book, you. Martha, thank you so much for this book in the world um, to leave our audience with something with everything that you've learned with everything that you've studied and lived yourself. What's something that you want the listener to remember from this talk? Um, I'm going to steal a quote from the poet Goethe, a German poet who said, when you trust yourself, you will know how to live. Mm. So get in a room by yourself, sit quietly and find out where you're uncomfortable and what would make you a little more comfortable, just a little, and do that every day. And in a series of tiny changes, you're going to find your way all the way to heaven. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you for this book. And thank you for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Hey guys, I am so excited to share that my new book, Motherhood Unstressed, is now available worldwide on Amazon, Kindle, and my website. And this was a book that I designed for every busy mama out there. It's filled with original quotes, poetry, guided meditations, and journaling opportunities, all as a way to bring you back to who you really are. You know, when you become a mother, life changes in innumerable ways. And I think that we all have that that sense of purpose and joy within us at all times. It just takes a little help sometimes getting back to that. And that's what this book is about. I want it to be a touchstone in your day so you can literally flip to a page, gain some insight, gain some inner knowing, gain some inner peace, and then go into your day and run it. And I so look forward to seeing where the book goes in the world. Uh, If you do get it, please let me know. Please let me know what you think. And I just want to say thank you so much for reading. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, please share it with a friend and be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the show out to more and more mothers all over the world. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.